hour two here on the morning after on Sports Grid. You're listening on Sirius XM Channel 204 with Ben Stevens. I'm Ariel Epstein. This hour, we're going to go to the futures market. We had college football and we had the Big Ten in action over the weekend in week zero. How did that game impact the futures market? We're also going to have two great guests, Dr. David Chow, ProFootballDoc.com. He's going to break down the injuries from over the NFL weekend. In addition to Tom Vecchio breaking down the Major League Baseball board and some NFL futures. First, we've got some golf to talk about. I don't know who's choked worse. Bryson DeChambeau or the New York Mets because Bryson DeChambeau yesterday was absolute choke job yesterday it was it looked like Bryson was going to win this event BMW championship and DeChambeau ends up missing this putt and it just all went to I'm not going to say the word Patrick Cantlay gets the win in sudden death and a better actually on FanDuel $3,000 $3,000 was what he placed on Patrick Cantlay to win the BMW championship. He cashes out $72,000. Congratulations to this better. Congratulations to Patrick Cantlay. Ben, what on earth happened to Bryson DeChambeau? I don't know. Bryson, normally it shows a little bit of exposure in that wedge game that he has. Of course, the big man who bombs the ball, sometimes when you get around the greens, you know what they say, Ariel, drive for show. Putt for dough. Bryson DeChambeau missed a couple of costly putts either in regulation or in that epic six-hole playoff at the BMW Championship. And Patrick Cantlay, meanwhile, looked like a killer out there. Looked like he was a man on a mission and now takes that lead into Atlanta at Eastlake Golf Course for the uh, the Tour Championship to end off the FedEx Cup playoffs. But Bryson DeChambeau getting mad at Patrick Cantlay for walking. A lot of weird things about Bryson. I'm not a huge Bryson guy. I would say thumbs down to Bryson as we compare him to the choke job of the New York Mets, I guess, in this case. But Patrick Cantlay, 23-1 to to win prior to the tournament, cashes big tickets, also plus money on Patrick Cantlay to win Group C, which our very own Cam Rogers came on the show this past Wednesday and had that as one of his three prop picks for the PGA Tour and the BMW Championship. So I hope you found some value there in the prop market or the finishing position market on Patrick Cantlay. I was not able, Ariel, to watch this six-hole playoff because I played golf yesterday afternoon, was stuck in terrible traffic on the way home from the golf course, getting through the Holland Tunnel. I shot a 37 on the back, two over par, no big deal, not going to brag about it. But I wish I had been able to watch this six-hole playoff because it would have been fascinating from a live betting perspective. And live betting is probably not something you most closely associate with PGA Tour Golf, but it can present tons of opportunity. You would have had a live match betting scenario pretty much between these two guys going shot for shot, putt for putt, hole for hole. It would have been fascinating and probably some great opportunities to find some huge plus money value on Patrick Cantlay because he never whittled down the stretch. And even when Bryson looked to be in a more favorable position, Patrick Cantlay responded, ultimately claiming the BMW championship. I did see somebody post about those live odds, and I do know, I did see that at at a different book, which again, I'm not going to say which one, but the live betting did account for 10% of the total amount wagered on the tournament at the BMW, and also, I did see that there were live odds posted right before Bryson DeChambeau and Patrick Cantlay went into the sudden death round, and I'm trying to find it through my Twitter page, can't find it, but I do remember that it was something along the lines of, 
DeChambeau minus 250. Yeah, it was. Bryson minus 250. Mm. Welcome to our Sports Grid Radio audience. Second hour here on the morning after. Sirius XM Channel 204, the Mightier 1090 on the West Coast. With Ben Stevens, I'm Ariel Epstein. Talking about the BMW Championship in the PGA yesterday, where Patrick Cantlay ends up beating Bryson DeChambeau in sudden death. Going into the sudden death. So Bryson on the green, Cantlay off. Bryson, minus 250, Cantlay, plus 175. There were so many opportunities to cash in on Cantlay and plus money yesterday if you were just going live betting. However, Ben, Cantlay comes away with the win, and the live betting aspect, you're right. Just so crucial in this new PGA betting world. Very, very important and tons of value throughout the weekend because you might look at the futures outright board before a tournament gets underway on Thursday. And the best golf handicappers, Cam Rogers, David Bierman, Dubsy Anderson himself, will tell you to pick an outright winner off the bat for a PGA Torch uh, tournament of any kind is incredibly difficult to do. That's why the odds are so long when you have those opportunities. That being said, throughout the weekend, when the field starts to narrow a little bit, especially in these playoff tournament events, you can still get plus money on guys that are pulling away from the field or at the top of the leaderboard and remaining consistent there throughout Friday, Saturday, into the final round on Sunday. Live betting with golf is a new frontier, but does present so many opportunities to find that value. As Ariel, you know that if you really want to make money betting PGA Tour golf, it comes down to the matchup bets or in the finishing position prop markets. That's where you can find your plus money on guys that you have better feelings about, not just to win a tournament, but to finish top 10, top 20. That's where the best golf handicappers truly cash their tickets. Not so much picking the winner overall on a Wednesday heading into that Thursday tournament, but in the finishing positions in prop market, that's where our guy Cam Rogers shined this past week. Patrick Cantlay, Group C winner. Sergio Garcia, top Spaniard. That's where you can find plus money value, but with more likely paydays at the end of the week. Cam Rogers, if you're listening, please stop beating yourself up. You gave out the Group C winner bet. You don't need to worry about hurting our feelings over the Bryson DeChambeau outright pick. It's okay. Things happen. Bad beats happen. They happened all weekend. Also, shout out to Sports Grid Zone Cam Stewart from Game Time Decisions. Top 5 plus 490 for Rory McIlroy. Cashed and Sam Burns. Top 20 at plus 175. Finishing position. So much fun to bet on on top of those match bets on FanDuel. Coming up next, ProFootballDoc.com's Dr. David Chow. A lot of injuries from this weekend around the NFL. Stay here on The Grid. We'll talk about how it has implications on the futures market. We'll be right back. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on The Grid. SportsGrid.com. Back on the morning after on Sports Grid, Sirius XM Channel 204 with Ben Stevens. I'm Ariel Epstein. Joining us now, ProFootballDoc.com's Dr. David Chow. Dr. Chow, a lot of injuries over the weekend in week three of the NFL preseason, most notably to the running back of the Baltimore Ravens, J.K. Dobbins. Now, this tweet I found interesting because I understand this torn ACL thing and they're going to be out the year. Then this tweet came out where there potentially could be a possible LCL tear in addition to the ACL. If there is an LCL tear, how is this recovery process different? 
Well, if it becomes a true multi-ligament injury, where there needs to be an ACL reconstruction as well as an LCL reconstruction, that changes the timeline. I'm not saying that it is for sure. Hopefully it's just a little bit stretched and it will heal. It's the posterior lateral corner. I never got a good second angle. But if it's a true full reconstruction uh, and LCL is involved, this is going to affect 2022, at least the start of, and you know, in more severe cases, could have long-term implications. Let's hope not. Let's just hope it's a associated posterior lateral corner strain, something that they're watching to be sure of, and it's, quote, mostly just an ACL. Dr. Chow, the Ravens have had a bad streak of injury luck throughout this preseason training camp portion of the NFL slate. Same with the Indianapolis Colts. We know Carson Wentz recovering from that foot surgery, looking more and more likely that he will return early on in the regular season. One of his potential backups in Sam Ellinger out of Texas suffered a rare ACL sprain over the weekend. What's the recovery process look like for that? Well, you know, there's actually a silver lining in this injury here. Uh, first of all, it's not a complete tear, not a grade three sprain. It's a partial tear. Doesn't happen very often. Think of it this way. If you all of a sudden break and snap a rope or a rubber band, how often does it break part way? or tear part way, a rubber band or a rope. Not very often, it's either all or none. And this one looks like to be a part true partial, so it should heal a month or so, use a brace. But here's what I think it does. We've talked about Carson Wentz at length. He's returning to quote full practice today. He seems to be on the quicker timeline. But we've said here on the show, and I've said, uh, Carson Wentz is not starting week one if, if the criteria is being 100%, and that's what Jim Ursay has said he needs to be 100%. This might now change things. And you're going to say, why? Ellinger wasn't the starter anyways. You need at least two fully healthy people, if not three. Where are the Colts going to get a third quarterback that could be really ready to play week one? And if you're going to have Carson Wentz as the backup, because he's not quite 100%, you might as well just start him at 90, 95%. So some of the politics behind the injury and return to play might get affected here because of that. Because it would look silly to have Carson dressed but not starting. Bears fans and Ben would probably be willing to give Andy Dalton over to the Colts so that Justin Fields can start, but that's besides the point. Dr. David Chow of ProFootballDoc.com here with us. Another injury to the Colts, their wide receiver, T.Y. Hilton. Apparently on the plane, he addressed that he had a neck injury. What's going on with T.Y. Hilton, and how long do you expect him to be out? Well, there's no film on uh, T.Y. Hilton or any hit, but uh, Coach has said that it's a disc issue. Now, if it's a herniated disc, those discs don't unherniate. All you can do is manage them, if not surgery, right? And surgery would be three months, but let's hope no surgery. But this is going to be a management issue. The only thing he has going for him is he plays on the outside, right? If he were a, a up-the-middle bruiser running back or, or a lineman, that I would even have a worse prognosis. Fingers crossed, but this is definitely something to watch for the Colts. 
We could call this the Ravens and Colts injury hour with Dr. David Chow because the left tackle for Indianapolis also suffering a torn ACL over the weekend. Sam Tevy is now out for the year. So, Dr. David Chow, as the Colts are preparing for this regular season, a couple of weeks off now before that regular season opener, what's the process look like for NFL teams transitioning out of training camp and into regular season preparation? Well, you know, this year they have two weeks, right? I mean, the last year in the past, all the preseason games are played on Thursdays to give them 10 days before their game. This year you have two weeks. So there's a little mini buy. Some teams are off for a little bit. The Colts are certainly have been stung a lot of places. And I'll stop mentioning the Ravens so that we don't upset uh, Ariel there and her team there. <laughs> but the, uh, the Colts' left side of the offensive line is something to watch. Of course, you have Quentin Nelson with a similar injury to Carson Wentz, who's also returning to practice. Sam Tevy, all right, he might not have been the main guy, but he still uh, provided some potential depth there. Eric Fisher, who they signed, he's not ready till end of the year, towards the end of the year at best, uh, the left tackle, a former first pick in the draft from the Chiefs. So, yeah, and that's one of the things we look at at the field view. We have a, we'll have a revised and improved version of the field view this year that will show multiple levels of uh, starters and backups. And instead of just uh, grades, we're going to go with numerical numbers as we work out our algorithm. Dr. Chow, since there is that long period of time between now and week one, as a doctor, especially for teams that have been dealing with preseason injuries, how would you advise these teams to allow for their team to practice yet stay healthy? Well, you know, not all practice is the same. Not all games are the same. A lot of people would argue practicing against another team is harder than playing in a preseason game. It really depends. I mean, let me tell you. I think if you're Joe Burrow, who got a couple of snaps uh, in his preseason game, you got to keep practicing and getting that knee stronger and getting reacclimated to what's going on because you've had little, limited time. Now, if you're, you know, a Big Ben, maybe the rest is a good thing, right? And so it all depends on who it is and what player and what teams, et cetera. So over these next couple of weeks, Dr. David Chow, I think a lot of the focus for that Thursday night opener between the Bucks and the Cowboys will be on the health of Cowboys quarterback Dak Prescott. He's been back in practice over the last couple of weeks, ramping up that workload. What's the latest with Dak's situation in Dallas? I think Dak is going to be fine, as we said from the beginning. It wasn't a one-day thing, two-day thing, but he was always going to make it for week one, and he's on track. I don't know that he's 100% on the ankle, but 95 is pretty good. And uh, I don't see any real issues with Dak other than perhaps the lost time. I continue to be a little more worried about Amari Cooper. But uh, the Cowboys and Dak, they should be ready to go. But they did miss quite a bit of practice time this uh, preseason. Dr. Chow, a lot of people are down on the Pittsburgh Steelers this year. They don't feel Ben Roethlisberger is the same as he once was, which probably, I mean, he's not going to be the same he was 10 years ago. However, coming off of that right elbow surgery that he had two years ago, he had the most pass attempts in the league last season. You could tell that the arm started to fade a little bit towards the end of the year. How confident are you that Ben Roethlisberger's arm will be okay going into 2021? 
I think his arm will be okay. Is it as strong as it was 10 years ago? Probably not, but neither is Tom Brady's, right? I think the uh, most important attribute to a quarterback is still their brain and their ability to process information, decide where to throw, not force it into tight windows. That's when mistakes can be made. The margin for error on tight windows are small, and if that's how you make a living with your arm strength, it's not going to work out very well. So I think he could be okay and still should be okay. Dr. Chow, only about 45 seconds left here. You mentioned Tom Brady at the spry age of, I believe, 44 now. An immaculate 7-for-7 in his one preseason series just this past weekend. Is anything slowing down Tom Brady heading into 2021? Well, right now it looks good, but Father Time is undefeated, so we'll uh, we'll see what happens. But you know, obviously, remember there are no blitz packages, no disguised defenses. It's very vanilla right now. Eh, Brady will figure it out. I'm sure this team will be competitive, and they may even just win their division. But Dr. David Chow, ProFootballDoc.com, thank you as always for joining us and giving us the best insight in the league. Make sure to go check out the website, and I'm sure you've got some podcasts coming out too that'll be really interesting. It's so helpful for not only props, not only gambling, for fantasy implications as well. Dr. Chow, we'll see you next week. Thanks so much. Thank you. Coming up next, we are going to go to the futures market. We're going to see how that market has been moving, especially in the Big Ten. There was Big Ten football over the weekend, and I know Ben can't wait to talk about it. Stay on the grid. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. on the morning after on sports grid sirius xm channel 204 with ben stevens i'm ariel epstein i'm gonna throw off our our behind the scenes crew again um we've got to do a social read so make sure to check us out at sports grid and sports grid tv go over to our twitter accounts you will get everything that you need we have all the clips from that you might have missed from the show best bets of the day and great analysis as always now we are going to the futures market it's gonna be our market mover segment where we're going to talk about the big 10 and i know big 10 ben is all excited about it so let's get to market movers Big Ten Ben, here we go. We're talking about the futures market and how it's moved in the Big Ten Conference. Ohio State, they've moved more in their favor. Minus 200 moves to minus 220. Iowa stays at 9-1. to one. Michigan had the biggest movement. 9-1 to one goes to 25-1. to one. Penn State stays the same at 9 to 1. Wisconsin, 9 to 1, second best odds now at 6 to 1. Nebraska, they move back 30 to 1 to 40 to 1. Illinois, 170 to 1 to 250 to 1. Ben, I really was using this market because we did see Big Ten football over the weekend. Nebraska has line movement against them, which makes sense. Illinois, I thought maybe, maybe there was a slight chance Illinois would have a little bit of movement in their favor. It didn't happen that way, though, Ben. 
No, unfortunately not. No love for Burt. Brett Bielema, despite picking up the first win of his tenure at the helm of that Illinois football program, still no love for the Illini. It makes sense. Listen, Illinois pulled off the upset on Saturday at home as six-and-a-half-point underdogs. Kudos to them, but their team win total is still three-and-a-half. They're going to go over the three-and-a-half pretty much now with the win over Nebraska, but they might not win many more Big Ten games this year, so it does make sense. Let's focus on the Wisconsin Badgers. Wisconsin in a very tough test to open up this season on Saturday in Camp Randall in Madison, Wisconsin. Five and a half point favorites at home versus Penn State. Wisconsin ranked 12th in the AP preseason poll, Penn State 19th. A top 20 tilt to get things underway for the Wisconsin Badgers. They have had some of the most movement in their favor in the Big Ten market throughout this offseason. Now, as we are about to get underway with week one of the regular season, it makes sense. My pick all along has been Wisconsin to win the Big Ten West. The FanDuel Sportsbook agrees with me at minus 125. The Wisconsin Badgers are minus 125 to win the Big Ten West division. When you look at that market right now, the second shortest odds, the Iowa Hawkeyes, who are ranked 18th in the country at plus 175. There is a game on Halloween weekend in Madison, Wisconsin, at Camp Randall, between Iowa and Wisconsin that I think will decide the Big Ten West Division. But it really gets started for Wisconsin this weekend. A very tough Big Ten opener against Penn State, who is ranked 19th in what is assumed to be a better year for the Penn State Nittany Lions. Now, if you follow the logic of what I am saying here, Wisconsin as the odds-on favorite to win the Big Ten West, then at plus 600 to win the Big Ten Championship, you are having tons of value on a very good Wisconsin team because that plus 600 right now, a 6-1 to one ticket that you can hold on the Wisconsin Badgers, the favorite to win the Big Ten West, into a one-game scenario against most likely Ohio State in the Big Ten Championship game provides you a ton of value right now on Wisconsin because as you enter that Big Ten Championship game, if it is Wisconsin and it is Ohio State, the favorite is going to be for the Buckeyes, but it's probably going to be somewhere around seven and a half, ten points, something in that ballpark. So your value on Wisconsin to either hedge out or have a middling opportunity the first weekend of December provides you profit. Nonetheless, if you hold a Wisconsin ticket at this moment in late August, by the time you get to early December. So as it has been for me all off season long, the value is on Wisconsin in the Big Ten championship market at plus 600. They should be favored in all nine of their games. You mentioned the game against Penn State. Penn State, although probably one of the teams that will be most improved coming off of a horrendous four and five year last year, they do draw two of the top teams out of the West, Wisconsin and Iowa. Both those games are going to be on the road for Penn State this year. Just brutal for the Penn State Nittany Lions to have to face those two on the road. Penn State does have a lot of returning players. They return their quarterback, nine offensive players, eight defensive players. Ben, when you when I say that Penn State's going to be improved, which it can't really get much worse. I shouldn't say that, but it really shouldn't get much worse for Penn State after last season. How much is improved for Penn State? Like, what would be a good season? Because just bowl eligibility is not a Penn State way. You really need to get into one of the prime bowl games. How far do you see them going? Well, that's the question for Penn State this year. And you say, what is a level of improvement? Their team win total is set at nine right now on the FanDuel Sportsbook. The under has the heavy juice at minus 145. So for Penn State to have a year that people would consider a success in Happy Valley, I think is pushing at least 
that team win total. It is a tough schedule for Penn State. Ariel very correctly brings up the point that their Big Ten West crossovers on the road at Iowa and at Wisconsin this week, this Saturday, is going to be very difficult for Penn State. They also have a tough non-conference game against Auburn. Not the best Auburn team you will ever see, but still an SEC opponent week number three. Penn State then has to go on the road at Ohio State. Also that weekend in late October, Halloween weekend, that I referenced for Iowa-Wisconsin deciding the West, that game between Penn State and Ohio State should decide the East. So those are four games right there that are very difficult tests for Penn State. They also have an up-and-coming Indiana team that beat them last year. That game is at home in State College. They, of course, have to play Michigan, as every team in the Big Ten East does. So it is a difficult schedule for a Penn State team that will certainly be improved. You're right. It can't get much worse than the beginning of last year, the first time in Penn State football program history they have ever started out a season 0-5. They did rally off four straight wins. There is a certain level of progress and optimism for James Franklin and company this season. They have a new offensive coordinator in Mike Yursich. His offensive system for Sean Clifford, who will be the third-year starting quarterback for this Penn State team, needs to take that next step. Great depth in the backfield with Kevon Lee and Noah Kane. They have Jahan Dotson back, who was one of the best wide receivers in the Big Ten Conference. The defense should be improved as well, although they lost a couple of guys up front in Odafe Owe and Shaka Tony from a really good defensive line. Penn State should be good, but that barometer, Ariel, is that team win total at nine. If they can push, I think it has been a great season for Penn State. If they go slightly under at eight and four, where the juice is right now on FanDuel Sportsbook, it wouldn't be the craziest thing just based on the difficulty of that schedule. If they can cash a plus money ticket and go over that nine team win total, Penn State could be in contention for a New Year's Six Bowl, which in the three of four previous seasons leading into 2020, James Franklin had done in Happy Valley. Prior to last year, James Franklin, 42-11 and 11 in his four years as the head coach in Happy Valley. Let's talk about their rivals, Michigan. Michigan last year, also a brutal season. They went 2-4. and four. Now, Michigan has 17 returning starters. The odds were not right on them from the beginning. It went from 9-1 to one back on June 2nd to now 25-1 to one on FanDuel. They completely shifted those odds. Can't imagine that's because of so much sharp money or whatever you want to call it. It's probably because the book said, oh, we – we got this number wrong. Ben, how much better do you see Michigan being this year? And by that, I really mean how much of a threat are they to the top half of the competition in this conference? You're right. The book got that number wrong initially. 9-1 to one on this Michigan team was strictly a public Michigan price given the story nature of that program. They are much more similar to 25-1. to one. That is a better line on the Michigan Wolverines at the moment. Their team went total 7.5 right now on FanDuel. The over has the juice at minus 125. I'm not sure I necessarily agree with that juice. You asked the question in terms of Michigan and that level of expectation. Can they be competitive with the top of the Big Ten East? I think they can compete with Penn State and Indiana this year. They are not going to come close to knocking off Ohio State and having a bid to that Big Ten title game. This year for Michigan, and I know it sounds crazy to say, with the level of expectation normally in Ann Arbor, is not all that important for Jim Harbaugh and the Wolverines. That team win total of seven and a half is perfect. If they go eight and four or seven and five, I don't think it changes a lot for Jim Harbaugh and the Wolverines 
heading into next year. 2022 will be the year. J.J. McCarthy, one of the highest-rated recruits ever at the quarterback position heading to Michigan, will be in a sophomore season next year. Alongside Donovan Edwards, a very highly-touted running back recruit who is now on campus in Ann Arbor. We might see J.J. McCarthy this year, but as of right now, Cade McNamara has been named the starter for Michigan. So where Michigan stands at 25 to 1 in the Big 10 conference is much more spot on. When you look at where they are in the Big 10 East right now, of course Ohio State the heavy favorite to win that division at minus 450. The Buckeyes are the favorite to win the conference at minus 220. Ohio State has won this conference the previous 4 seasons. Michigan has the fourth shortest odds in the Big 10 East right now at 14 to 1, behind Penn State at 6 to 1, behind Indiana at 11 to 1. But that makes sense. And I know that might sound crazy in terms of the overall context of the history of the Big Ten Conference. But Michigan is behind Indiana this year. I agree with where that stands, although both teams have a team win total of seven and a half on the FanDuel Sportsbook. So where Michigan finds themselves in contention for the Big Ten Conference or the Big Ten East, not really all that important to where the expectation level will be heading into 2022. That Ariel Epstein, mark my words right now, August 30th, 2021 2022 will be the make or break season for Jim Harbaugh in Ann Arbor I feel like we keep saying this then COVID came in last year we were able to say oh it was COVID it was a really rough year for any head coach now this year this is the final year of the real test next year the real test every year is the final year of the real test for Jim Harbaugh this is a coach that took over a program Michigan said it is yours. You're our alum. You're our head coach. Please, just take the whole thing. We'll give you full control. It's been a disaster in Michigan. This team was terrible last season. I didn't think anyone could have a worse season than Penn State, but Michigan, they really proved that, that Penn State was not the most disappointing team in the Big Ten last year. Coming up next, we're going to be joined by FanDuel's Tom Vecchio. We'll break down Major League Baseball and the NFL futures market here on The Grid. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. Back on the morning after on Sports Grid, Sirius XM Channel 204 with Ben Stevens. I'm Ariel Epstein. Joining us now from FanDuel, it is Tom Vecchio. We're going to talk Major League Baseball and the NFL futures market. Let's start first with Major League Baseball, Tom. Home run props. How have they been treating you? Uh, the second half of the season started off super hot. It's been a little bit up and down since then, but that's what you should expect for you know a full season of baseball. It, it's a grind. It's it's very very long, but you know I stick to my process. I think that we're in a good spot to close out the final uh, six weeks or so of the season. Tom, I think you've been doing tremendously, and if you go on a hot streak with so much plus money for home run props, I feel like the dividends of that must be very good. A Monday slate of Major League Baseball, where does your eye go for home run props today? 
So tonight's slate could be a lot about the Los Angeles Dodgers, and that's where I'm leaning. And this is a, a kind of a classic spot where, you know, I like one player. I also like a lot of other players. You know, choosing between them is like choosing between, you know, burgers and pizza. It's like I like them both. I'm just happy to be leaning towards one or the other tonight. And that would be Will Smith, the catcher for the Dodgers, coming in with a great 284 ISO. He's got a massive 47.8% fly ball rate and a 38% hard contact rate in this split versus lefties. He also has three home runs in his last four games. I don't really like to ride hot streaks that much. If it's a good spot for him, it's just simply a good spot. And he's going up against Drew Smiley for the Braves, you know, giving up 1.85 home runs per nine to righties, a 4.63 X fit, uh, 39.3% fly ball rate, a little bit lower, 34% hard contact rate, but it's simply such a great spot for Will Smith and really all of the Dodgers righties. So if you were to tell me uh, Justin Turner or Trey Turner or if Pujols makes the lineup, if, if one of those players happens to hit home run tonight, I'm not going to be surprised at all just because Smiley is just such a bad pitcher. Speaking of pitching, you're also going to a strikeout prop, and you like the Colorado Rockies starter, Herman Marquez, strikeout prop against the Texas Rangers. Where are you going with that strikeout prop of, I think I saw it before, what, six and a half? Yeah, six and a half with plus 124 to the over. Uh, Marquez is a good pitcher. I know some of his stats look a little bit uh, inflated. He does pitch the Rockies, so half of his games are at Coors Field. But he comes with a solid 25% strikeout rate this year. Uh, but more importantly, in his seven starts since the All-Star break, he has posted a 28% strikeout rate or higher in four of those seven starts, really pushing towards the ceiling that we have seen him uh, be able to produce over the past couple seasons, which is good. He's on the road versus Texas. Now, they're a middle-of-the-road team in terms of strikeouts, sitting at 23.4% versus right-handers with their active roster. More importantly, this means we have the Rockies going to Texas, which means the Rockies are gaining the DH, which means uh, when push comes to shove, Marquez could get an extra inning or so because he doesn't have to bat, so they're not going to be pulling him out of the lineup. So the plus money for the over 6.5 with his increased strikeout rate in the second half against what is really just a weak Rangers lineup is a spot that I would look. Tom, you mentioned Will Smith's home run streak that he's on right now. Three of his last four games, he has hit a long ball. Probably no better hitter right now in Major League Baseball, at least no hotter hitter than Salvador Perez of the Kansas City Royals. A home run in five straight games for KC. Do you take that into your handicapping at all when a player is just scorching earth hot at the moment? So it's it's tough to fade a player when you think he's this hot, like Joey Votto did it earlier in the year. It was like six or seven games for him, whatever it was. Like, ultimately, if a player is in a good spot, they're in a good spot. Like Justin Turner, I'm pretty sure he hasn't hit a home run in like 10 or 12 straight games, but he's in a great spot tonight. So he's been, quote, unquote, cold, but I still like him tonight. Will Smith's been super hot, and I still like him tonight. So like you can play into the narrows but ultimately i'm just going to rely on like the player's batted ball profile how good he is how, how bad the pitcher is like that stuff isn't changed just because a player has hit a home run in a couple games in a row so the long answer is no the shorter answer is sometimes i'm also just a fan of the game and i, I buy into it as well Some technical uh, difficulties there with Ariel. No, it was Ariel, me. I'm back? back. I'm back. I'm okay. back. Okay. It was, 
All right. My bad, guys. It was the dogs again barking, and I try not to disrupt the show, so I mute my microphone. Anyway, I was asking about the month of September because things change a lot as we get into the final month, whether it's between teams that don't need to play much anymore because they're out of it or teams that have already gotten close to clinching their division, like the White Sox up by 10 games, let's say. How much do you alter your handicap going into the month of September? So this can come down a lot to uh, managerial tendencies. Now, this can require a little bit of extra work. So not to use the Dodgers as an example again, but Dave Roberts, their manager, has been known in the past to pull pitchers early. He, that's just something he has done. So if you're looking on looking at strong pitchers and looking at their player props and going to be on board with them, this is a spot where actually be hesitant for some starting pitchers that we generally see have high strikeout games. So speaking of the White Sox, you know, Lance Lynn, we know he's a great pitcher. Rodon is back. But they're also very, very firmly in uh, in a playoff spot. Like they, they're not really competing with anyone. So taking the over on their strikeouts can be a little bit risky because they can be pull, pulled early from the game just to give them a few extra innings of rest here or there as they're gearing up for the, uh, the playoffs. So the managerial tendencies actually is what's really, really important. So, yes, you have to factor in all of this, especially coming down to the stretch where teams are playing for a lot of or not playing for a lot of different things. So, Tom, you're handicapping down the stretch here of Major League Baseball. We call you the home run prop king, and rightfully so. You have given us some strikeout props as well. Where is the focus of your handicapping? Is it sides? Is it totals? Is it the prop market for the home stretch of Major League Baseball? It's still sticking with the home stretch. Uh, with, uh, for the home stretch, it's still sticking with the player props. But as I mentioned, uh, I think it was a couple of weeks ago, like this is a spot where you can look to start fading some of the weaker, the really, really weak teams in the league, league and take the run line against them. So whoever happens to be playing the Diamondbacks or the Pirates or the Marlins or whoever it might be, take the run line against them because they're bringing up so many young players just to get them experience. You know, getting a player 60 or 70 at-bats late in the season is still good, but ultimately they're still really, really bad and inexperienced. So I'd be taking a run line against them in that spot, and it kind of correlates with taking a home run prop or a strikeout prop where the pitcher is just going to be dominating. They're going to be scoring extra runs because they're going up against bad pitchers, inexperienced pitchers, et cetera, et cetera. So a little bit of correlation along the way. Fandles Tom Vecchio joining us here on the morning after on Sports Grid. Let's transition into the NFL. Tom, you like Stephon Diggs to go over his 1,350 and a half receiving yards on the season for the Buffalo Bills. Why are you high on Diggs this year? So Diggs, uh, I think, is in for a big year. He's, I think, he's technically listed with like some knee injury or whatever it is. Like, I'm not really worried about that. Uh, over at number five, we have projected for 1,575 yards, which is 225 yards more than his current line is set, which is, I'm going to call it two games worth uh, for him. But really, I'm buying into him because he was so strong last year. I'm also buying into Josh Allen. And, you know, we saw him over the, le- the weekend, and he looked awesome, right? And, and he's done this for a couple of seasons now. Uh, just massive, massive yards from him. Big production from him. You could be looking at Josh Allen along with uh, Diggs for the over on his passing yards. The receiving yards, you name it, I'm on board if you want to look for Allen for an MVP prop. But really, Steph Diggs is the primary receiver for the Bills. He led them last year when it comes to air yards. He led them when it comes to the market share of air yards, his total market share. He led. He had the team, or was second on the team with a 10.12 ADOT. He gets down the field. Like, all the passing for the Bills, all of the yards for Josh Allen, all the yards for Steph Diggs is where I'm leading this year. So the over on all of these, throw in a Josh Allen MVP, uh, and you should be in a good spot for the Bills this year. 
Tom, you took the words right out of my mouth. I was going to ask if you think that might be a correlated market to Josh Allen at 13 to 1 to win the NFL MVP, the fourth shortest odds right now on the FanDuel Sportsbook. But Tom, now that the preseason is over, I think we might see some renewed interest in the futures market or maybe even the player prop season long market. So how do you best advise people how to approach these futures as we get ready for the regular season? So if you already jumped on board, that's great. If you see the line changes, uh, you know, maybe a player had a slightly less productive preseason than you'd like to see, and you see like his MVP odds uh, get longer, this is a spot where you can jump back on board because, okay, Josh Allen had a great year, but it doesn't mean that we can't look to one of the other quarterbacks to also have a great year, whether it be Rodgers or Brady or Lamar Jackson or Russell Wilson. So if you see their odds actually getting longer because someone else was so great, you can actually jump back on board, and then you're getting the odds again at a longer price. So that's something I would look to. And then as soon as the season starts, like that first week, if someone has like an explosive week, as we saw with Lamar Jackson, what was it two years ago, where they were at Miami, where he put up like five touchdowns and four touchdowns the next game, whatever it was, like look to jump on board immediately as something changes, because we know ultimately it can be a bit of a narrative-driven award. Tom, everyone has their favorite players to go towards, especially in the NFL. You start to get drawn to certain teams or players more than others. Who is that team or player for you that you're going to say, I've got to lock my eyes on this team and I'm going to be betting someone out here in the props market? Uh, for me this year, it would be A.J. Brown. Uh, I wouldn't say clear number one wide receiver. He is going to be better than Julio Jones this year. Uh, you know, Julio Jones, if they could get 12, 13 healthy games out of him, I think that's good. Maybe they limit him down the stretch, but I think we're going to see big stuff from A.J. Brown. I like the over on his yards. I, I forget what that is offhand, but uh, a player that we buying into week to week, uh, especially with those soft matchups against the Jaguars and the Texans, you know, twice a year, we could see massive, massive numbers out of them. Tom, some of the biggest injury news over the weekend, of course, for the Baltimore Ravens, their running back, J.K. Dobbins, tearing his ACL, will be out for the entirety of this 2021 NFL season. Around J.K., how does that impact the Baltimore Ravens offense, in your opinion? So I think it, it's obviously lost. He's obviously a great runner. But we've seen the Ravens obviously deploy uh, a, bit of, uh, a bit of running back by committee. So uh, when they have multiple other players step up, whether it could be Gus Edwards, whoever else they potentially bring in, uh, I don't think it impacts them in the grand scheme of things. This is a spot where you can look to Gus Edwards to play a larger role if you're drafting him in season-long fantasy, if you're still getting some best ball drafts out there, maybe you want to grab him a round or two earlier. But ultimately, I think that the Ravens obviously have a, a great structure, and they have like a lot of parts that are uh, you know, stronger together than they are individually, or whatever the saying is there, like the greater than the sum of their parts, whatever it is. So I think the Ravens will ultimately, ultimately be fine in, this year. I sure hope so, Tom Vecchio. Now, when it comes to certain props, uh, like I always love the pass attempts props. I also in the playoffs really liked the total tackles props. Which individual prop do you like to target game by game? Yeah, so the pass attempts one I, I also love because if you look at uh, that correlates strongly with the over-under and also the spread. So if we see you know home favorites that are 8, 9, 10, 11, 12 points, we're probably not going to be in a super high-scoring close game. But if we see an over-under that's like 53, 54 points and the spreads, you know, three or four points, we're probably going to be seeing a lot of uh, passing attempts on both sides, which is great. So I like to generally look towards uh, games that have high over-unders and close spreads for passing attempt 
props and then generally lean towards the over because ultimately we should be seeing a shootout in a lot of those games rather than a blowout where a team's just running the ball in the fourth quarter, which is ultimately not what we want to see uh, unless you have that running back that day. Uh, Tom, only Tom, about a minute left here, like yeah. 40 seconds or so. I was going to ask quickly, Ariel, what his handicapping is going to look like over the next two weeks. Preseason's done, awaiting the regular season. Uh, it will be all uh, moving my shares to as many best ball drafts I get finished, uh, going with my last few season-long drafts, uh, buying in on those players that I have uh, supreme confidence in, whether it be a Camaro, whether it be A.J. Brown, uh no, no more cam makers for me, obviously. No more no more uh, him in, in some drafts. But moving all my shares to best ball as quickly as I can and get those drafts over with. Just about 10 days left until the NFL regular season kicks off. Tom Vecchio from FanDuel, thanks for coming on with us. We'll see you next week. Thanks, Rick. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. on the morning after on Sports Grid, Sirius XM Channel 204. With Ben Stevens, I'm Ariel Epstein. We close out our number two of our show with our segment, Buy or Sell. There was this crazy stat that ESPN released regarding teams that go winless in the preseason. In the past 20 years, teams that went winless in the NFL preseason have gone 12-27-1 straight up, 11-27-2 against the spread. Teams that were winless... Philly, the Giants, the Cowboys, the Vikings, the Lions, and the Packers. Ben, are you buying or selling this stat that teams that go winless in the preseason don't do well week one against the spread? Oh, I am very much buying it. I think there is an indication. I know a lot of times we look at the preseason and say, what impact does this have on a team's regular season outlook? And I'm not sure it necessarily does. But as they always say, and I know it's a cliche, but winning is contagious. When you don't win at all, and at times you look pretty miserable across your entire team, well, that is troubling. When you're not scoring offensively, when you're getting blown out by a couple of touchdowns in the preseason, starters or reserves, that does have some impact on a team in terms of the vibes and momentum around it. So when you look at teams like the Eagles, a three-and-a-half-point underdog to the Falcons, or you look at the Giants, who are a one-and-a-half-point home underdog to the Denver Broncos, I mean, you could even look to the favorites in these scenarios, like the Green Bay Packers being a three-point favorite against the New Orleans Saints. I don't think it impacts the Packers as much, but the first game we have of the NFL regular season, the Dallas Cowboys winless in the preseason and that was four games this year because they played in the hall of fame game i'm certainly buying that this might be a trend to pay attention to with your week one handicapping oh yeah 
I am buying this trend, no doubt. I'm just a little concerned, as you mentioned, the Green Bay Packers. I do really like them, minus three against the Saints, who were one and one in the preseason. And they only got a win over the Jaguars, which, by the way, they allowed the Jaguars to score a ton in the fourth quarter. I'm just not buying this Jaguar. I'm not buying the Saints team yet. Got to see it with my own eyes. My 2020 vision on Jameis Winston. We do have to close that hour, too, which means we say goodbye to MSG. For our MSG audience, tune into sportsgrid.com. Find out what which platform works best for you. We're also on Sirius XM channel 204, hour three.